0: Welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. Thank you as always for listening. I'm Asher Panjaris and I have a really, really cool guest today. I will introduce her in just a moment. She is a fellow Virgo and I love seeing. Virgos out in the world who are amazing and inspiring because we have our own reputation, let's just say, for being other things other than inspiring and amazing. But I can't wait to share this guest with you. I wanted to let folks know who um, possibly haven't Um, caught wind of this yet, that I'm going to be starting a three-month-long program intensive. Um, It's an online virtual workshop that will last over the course of um, three months, starting in March. And um, registration will begin in... A little over a week um, but if you are interested in it and I will tell you a little I'll give you a little teaser right now um, if you're interested you can go to my website or follow the link in my Instagram bio and sign up for the waitlist to register and if you do that you'll get a little um, promo code that will um, let you register first and give you a discount so um, All the details will follow, Um, you will find out all the details soon, but the program is called Embodied Testimony, and uh, in this trauma-informed, queer-affirming, mindfulness-oriented, virtual program intensive, we will explore many things. The causes of body discomfort and pain, shame, grief, struggles with boundaries, disordered eating, body dysmorphia, anxiety, uncertainty about decision making, how to maintain a sustainable creative practice, intimacy, family or partner conflict, living with chronic illness, pain, disability, and more. And I offer this opportunity knowing how powerful it can be to have our inner lives truly known and witnessed by others, to heal relationally amongst peers. I believe in narrative medicine. I believe in the reparative possibilities that can materialize in the context of a stable, safe and emotionally nurturing group setting. It's my hope that this program intensive can serve as a catalyst for deeper understanding and insight, confidence about your intuition, increase mindfulness about our personal challenges around embodiment, as well as pathways towards a more integrated sense of self. And I think that one of the things that I really want to cultivate in this group is is sort of sustainability and deeper connection amongst a small group of folks. And so you'll be meeting with and communicating with you know, the same people over the course of three months. And I think a lot of dynamic alchemy can happen when we do that, when we make that commitment. So again, sign up for um, the waitlist on my website and, or a link in my bio, and I will send out uh, program information soon. If you sign up for that, you'll get a promo code. You'll also um, be the first to register. There are a limited number of spots because I want it to be an intimate experience. And so, yeah, uh, I hope that this resonates with some folks. Okay, so on to my really amazing guest, um, Jewel Cadet. Jewel uh, was raised by a Haitian single mother in Brooklyn, East New York. Jewel is a vibrant Virgo force to be reckoned with. Multi-awarded, both locally and nationally, for her activism and community organizing. Most recently featured in BET Queer AF, 29 Days of Black Queer Excellence. Jewel thrives on supporting the black, queer, trans, and gender non-conforming community. From curating monthly liberated party spaces called Ratchet Realm, where the Black, queer, and trans community can get their lives on the dance floor, to creating free dance fitness classes full of twerking and whining. She boldly claims her right to take up space in this world. As a speaker and educator, she is dynamic and engaging while being vulnerable to her experiences as an intimate queer partner violence survivor. As a self-proclaimed ratchet revolutionary, Jewel is a Black queer woman who will tell you like it is unapologetically. Jewel was a lovely, generous guest and also does amazing things in her communities. So there are lots of places you can find out about what Jewel is doing. One of them is um, at, on Instagram, so I'm gonna give you a couple of Instagram links. They'll be in the show notes as well. One is at Jewel underscore the gem. And to find out about um, her monthly black, queer, and trans-centered party experience, you can go to at a ratchet realm, all one phrase, at at a ratchet realm. Um, and also, she is now going to be um, a talk show host and producer of the Jewels Gems talk show. So you can find that at jewel's gems underscore talk show and again all of this will be in the show notes so there's lots of ways to connect with jewel um i i feel like this interview was both um really vulnerable and also inspired and i i really appreciate the way that jewel is so engaged in her communities, but also engaged in really thinking critically about her own experience and having like expressing a lot of curiosity about um, the specificity of her experience. And I, I truly think that she is someone in New York specifically, but all over that needs to be talked about more and what she's doing and what she's cultivating in terms of community and so i'm really honored that she was willing to come on the show and i, I do i encourage everyone to kind of raise raise her up and raise up the um the projects that she is engaged in um, i really believe in her and believe in the work that she's doing um, so thank you jewel and thank you to everyone who is listening i hope you enjoy the show So Jewel, thank you for being here with me today. Really thank appreciate you for it. having me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you. So I, I like to start each episode with, I guess it's a couple of questions, but you can kind of go wherever you want with it. What are the earliest memories you have of being in a body or learning about what it meant to be in a body from other people?
1: Yes. So that question is such a thought-provoking question. Um, um, I, I think, so what it, what it did for me is it made me think about my childhood when I go all the way back. And I think about my mom talking to me about body parts that I had. And I remember her distinctly, like very like firmly and assertively looking at me and she like pointed to my chest area and was like these are your friends like this is your friend this is your friend and I'm like, okay and she would point to like my genitalia and was like this is not your friend mm-hmm. and I remember being like oh my gosh like what is inside of like what is this like is this a monster like and I you know because I was like what like she just like literally made like a this is not your friend like a monster voice and I remember just being maybe about four or five, (sighs) really young, being told this about my body and not understanding what that meant. And, you know, she would make references to it as I got older and what she was trying to elude in that kind of conversation with me is talking about what my body was able to do when she was thinking about like pregnancy and, you know, assuming that I would, you know, whatever, even though I was like literally a child. Um, but she's like, if someone wants to interact with this part of your body, like referring to like my breast chest area, um, she's like, that's fine because you can't get pregnant. But if they try to interact with this area, right. you can get pregnant and you right. don't want to do that. And I remember being like pregnant, like what? And then, and then it kind of also goes into, and I'll show this part because I think it also connects to when I was 10 years old and I um, got my menstrual cycle for the first time and my mom was like, now you're a woman and you can get pregnant. And so I think what I learned from like up until 10 was that my body was a vessel to be pregnant and to house a child, even though I was a child. Um, And she wasn't saying it was gonna happen now. I think she was trying to put a level of fear in me of like what my body can do, how the world will look at my body. And it, it put kind of a fear of what my body is um, or was at the time. So thank you for that question mm-hmm. to allow me to kind of go back to that um, and really unpack what that means and to also just have a sense of gratitude for for where I am now. And I don't view my body in, in that way. Um, mm. But clearly, I feel like my mom was trying to protect me from what the world's expectation of what my body is supposed to do, according to what Mm -hmm. the world thinks it should do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that was her form of protection, but it it was really scary hearing Mm -hmm. that growing up. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, your mom was coming from somewhere, right? You know I mean? What, where was she as an adult now? What do you think, about where she was coming from when she was saying that um, yeah. based on her own experience, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, I think she definitely was very, very overprotective of me as a child. And, you know, with her being an, my mom was an immigrant um, mm-hmm. came, came coming from Haiti mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm her first um, daughter. And I think there was this fear of, I want my child to know what her body can do and how the world's going to look at it. And I think it was just this like overprotection mm-hmm. that she didn't know was instilling the wrong kind of fear. Cause I do think that growing up, there was a level of like, I do want to put some fear in you, mm-hmm. but I don't think she knew that, the level of impact that it had. Mm. Because I think her impact was really to look out and really to like have me be informed and aware. And I think that she thought that other kids my age, which I'm sure they they probably were, and they're like innocent child brain, wasn't thinking of these things that she was telling me. So I think she was trying to give me a one up. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if they don't know you, you're going to know that this is what happens and you don't want this to happen. Yeah. So I think it was just her version of looking out, but not understanding the impact of it. For sure,
0: yeah. What has been the impact, or what
1: was the impact? Do you think on you? Mm-hmm. Well, definitely. You know, I think it was. Int- I think it was. It's interesting thinking about because um, sometimes I have thoughts around like, how did I know I was queer? How did this develop? Right? Like, what did this? You know, and identify. I identified as a lesbian for a very long time, actually, up until this year. Um, newly, newly taking on this, like, queer identity and really feeling like it fits. But I definitely knew from a very young child, like, my first crush outside of Stevie Wonder, because I did have a crush on Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Meaning, yeah. But, like, my first, like, real in-person crush was a girl um, in my class. And I remember, you know, my teacher finding out because I was, like, flirting with her in a kid way, like, winking or, like, <laughs> clearly, like. Whatever. And she pulled me to the side and she's like, I'm going to tell your mom. And da, 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 da. But I remember like being really scared that the teacher was going to tell my mom. But then in my head, I was like, "Why I don't, you know, from what I learned in school, girls can't get you pregnant. Like in, in my mind, it was like, she shouldn't be mad. Like the thing that she doesn't want me to get is pregnant. And I won't be with, you know, for it's with another a girl. girl. So mm-hmm. I wonder if the fear that she instilled in me about like what people what kinds of people can get me pregnant um made me just kind of not think like maybe it scared me to the point where I was like oh gosh like (laughs) I do not Mm -hmm. want to talk to these people and I think it might have might have put that in my head um Mm -hmm. to be honest and me also being like oh but wouldn't she be happy if I like a girl then this wouldn't happen like kind of linking it to that Mm -hmm. um yeah, mm-hmm. no. Obviously, she doesn't. She definitely would not think that that was going to be the impact, <laughs> and that probably also may not actually be. But it's something that I'm exploring because it was a very traumatic thing for her to say, and yeah. I think did get me to like, oh my gosh, your boys are nasty, or like people with, you know, people who can get people pregnant are nasty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, or scary. Mm-hmm. It definitely made me reject those people as I was like initially forming what you know would be like romantic liking.
0: Yeah. You know? And I, I imagine that mm-hmm. you had experiences that reinforced
1: yeah, like,
0: the boys are nasty kind of thing. Yeah. like you know what I mean, it wasn't just your mom, I mean, she laid the the groundwork for that deep fear that you you kind of had. Mm-hmm. but I imagine you had a lot of experiences I mean I, I, you can clarify that, but that yeah. that were a, were also kind of giving you that message that mm-hmm. bodies are. Female-bodied people are maybe I don't know. You let me know what you what kind of reinforcing messages you had in Mm -hmm. your
1: surrounding like Mm
0: -hmm. life. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I think that growing up, like I grew up in you know Brooklyn, East New York, and and I think for me navigating that, you know, as a black like young. Feminine, you know, girl, teen, woman, as I grew up, I was, my body became, my body was very sexualized very early on, you know, and I think it affirmed what my mom was saying like, yeah. oh, there are predators out here and I could get pregnant, you know, and I think like they, they are on a mission. And I think it was, it was scary to navigate that because they were, you know, I remember growing up with like, you know, the boys are on my, on my block, on my street and, you know, them kind of making fun of me and teasing me a little bit because I was like the girl with the attitude. And I was like, I know what y'all want. I know what's up. I know what's up. My mother told me, <laughs> my mother told me what y'all want to do with my body. And I think people were like, how do you know this? And so, you know, I was, I definitely had interesting, um, I think I was known in a very interesting kind of light growing up in my neighborhood for being a girl that was like, I know what's up. I know what y'all trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think that by the time that I did eventually like engage, you know, like engage in sexual activity when I was 14, Um, and it was under like manipulation too, which is something that I've been like unpacking. Like, what does that mean to have my body for the first time that I'm, that I'm giving it to someone consensually, but then also was it, how consensual was it when it was under the extreme manipulation of like, well, you want to be in a relationship with me. So how about you give me this thing and I will be in a relationship with you. It was an exchange, right? Um, and what does that mean to give my body willingly at 14 as a result of an exchange? Mm-hmm. As a result of someone saying, you're tr- essentially treating your body as capital. Mm-hmm. Essentially saying, I will give you this thing if you give me that thing. right? And then the real interesting fact about it is that once I did give the thing, the person was like, oh, actually, I don't really want to be in a relationship. So mm-hmm. that's just, you know? And then so for me, I'm like, oh, oh, so this is what people do with my body. And then I completely shifted it. And I definitely try to reclaim. I spent years since then trying to reclaim my body because it was like, I think that that initial exchange, because um, that's really what it was, really taught me that people will go back on their word and they will treat your body like it's an object. So you need to reclaim it. You need to keep it safe. You need to protect it. But um, definitely had challenges with that, even though I attempted to reclaim it and, and mm-hmm. make sure it was mine and, and only give it when it was on my terms. But manipulation and coercion and love and all that stuff definitely makes things harder. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you for those questions because I definitely allowed my brain to go in a place that it doesn't typically, but I'm really glad that it, that I was mm. able to articulate that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Piecing Piecing these... Like the parts of our childhood, and it, I don't know. I mean, some people, I think it, or many people have a a kind of a hard time, myself included, thinking about how these early messages, ex- how exactly they have bearing on your adult life or your adult sexual life. I mean, mm-hmm. some things are obvious, right? But, but it, mm-hmm. again, those questions, those like lingering questions that you have about, you know, the people you chose to be attracted to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and how much that was influenced by, by this like deep fear um, that your mom mm-hmm. instilled in you at such an early age or yeah, how does this transactional sexual encounter um, kind of still impact or play out in, mm-hmm. or be in, is in the background of like, you know, your adult life. And I think mm-hmm pulling those pieces together can be helpful. It can also be really like painful and kind of discouraging to feel mm-hmm. like those those remnants are kind of still with us. Like they're still hanging on. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems like what you're saying is you you have found effective ways. And I wonder if you maybe could talk a little bit about that just for people listening who maybe also really resonate with this idea of like, I needed to figure out a way to, for whatever reason, to take control, feel like an agent of my body instead of subject, you know? And like, what what are the things that have kind of, you've experimented with and that have, have really ended up working for you or feeling good for you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I will say, you know, I think it's so interesting because if only our stories could be, I was this way and then now I'm not. Right. Like,
0: it's over. Like, ta Figured
1: like, that out. Yeah. Figured it out. Yep. And, I, and I would love for that to be my life story. Mm-hmm. However, that's not it. It's kind of like climbing a mountaintop and you know how like, you know, you're climbing and like you got to take breaks. And then sometimes you fall a little bit, you trip and you got to get back up. And then, and I think that's that has been my journey with experiencing what it means to like live in this body and to reclaim this body that has been used for transaction. Um, and so I will say what I'm in the process of. And, and the reason why I'll say that is because even while I know this even while I speak on this, even while I'm aware, still stuff still happens to me, you know? Um, I will say just as recent as this last summer, this, re- this most recent summer that has passed uh, literally a couple months ago, you know, being put in a predicament where I'm being manipulated again, I'm being coerced again. Um, and I think what happens when it's been happening for so long is you want to be able, it's kind of like that fight, flight, or freeze, right? You want to be able to be like, oh, I recognize what's happening here. I see what you're doing. And kind of going back to the feisty girl that was yes. once, that, that was mm-hmm. me, and being like, nope. But what happens because of love and because of trust and because of letting your guard down, what happens is you kind of sometimes go back to the other person where you regress to the person who goes along with it. You know, you regress to the person who's like, OK, this body isn't my own. Whatever you want to do mm-hmm. is fine. And I think that to have this past summer experience, borderline mirror what I experienced at 14 and 15 mm. was like, "Joel, you know better. But also you're human and also you got it's It's that it's that little stumble, you know, but you know what you need to do to get to the mountaintop. And so I guess my mountaintop <laughs> will look like um, me really channeling the person who's like, no, I see what's happening here in, in real time. And I think what helps me get there is these spaces that I've created around dancing. And I think that's really critical because. Something about, I think, especially for Black people, where movement was something that we relied on, you know, movement music, just rhythm in our bodies something that we relied on so much when we were experiencing such trauma. I think about being enslaved and I think about the world we live in now to this day, um, that experiences so much anti-blackness and white supremacy, and racism, and so on and so forth and classism and homophobia and queer phobia, like all the things on top of our blackness in our bodies. Um,
0: and what we've always relied
1: on rhythm and, um, Mm-hmm. And I feel like curating these spaces for other Black people and watching them move their bodies and I'm moving my body is definitely a way to reclaim it again and to reclaim it in a way that's like going back to what my mom said, right? When like, this is your friend, this is your friend, referring to my breast and then, this is not your friend, referring to my, my genitalia and being like, no, my whole body is my friend. Mm-hmm. My whole body is um, a vessel um, of life. My whole body is um, a vessel for sexuality. Mm-hmm. It is um, a vessel for healing. It's, it's a vessel of breaking into generational trauma and kind of like connecting with it in ways that people say that you shouldn't or people have tried to make you disconnect from for whatever reason, but being like, nope, it's mine. All of it is my friend. I think, mm. yeah. So I think definitely rhythm movement has is, is helpful. I think also something that I've been, um, recently, um, being vegan and, and really shifting my eating and lifestyle, um, because I have fibroids. Mm. And what does that mean to have this, uh, thing growing inside of me that one of them is the size of a lemon. And I share this because, you know, this impacts over 85% of black people with uteruses and, um, that is not a coincidence. Um, and you think about specifically people who historically who have had to hold a lot of trauma that is often held in the womb area. And it's not a coincidence that over 80 something percent of black folks um, with uteruses would have something like fibroids. And so, you know, when I went to the doctor and the doctor is like, well, you know, get on birth control, you know, that's a way. And then I was like, how about I just like shift? On when I went, that fed the fibroids and a lot of it was meat and it was dairy and it was alcohol, which I still engage alcohol. It's still going to turn up a little bit, but, um, <laughs> but something about, it talked about dance and exercise and drinking more water and having more fruits and vegetables in your diet and having a vegan diet. And I said, you know, what does it mean to also move my body? And with this thing growing inside, that is a, that is a, Vessel of also just trauma that's bigger than me, and what does it mean to shift how I eat and then move how I move and just like both of those things collectively as a way to heal and reclaim my body.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that, especially because I think, and I want to hear more about the spaces that you know you're creating to make this kind of reclaiming possible for you and so many other people. but i guess the these conversations about the way trauma exists or is stored in our bodies is i i think something that people are ta- you know there's people that are talking about it but i i do think that you know it's not the first thing that a western medical doctor is going to say to you right and <laughs> you know and and i i just i wonder if you have more thoughts on that like if you have found communities of people who are kind of talking about that. You mentioned energy intergen- like the idea of intergenerational trauma and how it kind of part of the process involves storing things in our bodies that mm. we you know that we don't choose, right? Yeah. It's kind of it's like the yeah. opposite of the message your mom gave you in some ways. Uh-huh. Like you did not choose this. It happened yep. you know it's it's happening to your body as a result mm-hmm. of, you know, violence, inherited violence and, and all that. So I, I I don't know, I guess I just wonder what your thoughts are on all that.
1: So let me just, I want to make sure I get your question um, properly. So like, are you saying what my thoughts are on intergenerational trauma in general or finding communities to talk about it?
0: Yeah. And, and specifically if you're finding people or it sounds like within yourself, you're finding a lot Mm -hmm. of clarity about how it can impact our bodies. um, Mm -hmm. And, and, and actually what it means I guess, yeah, what it means to, ha- to sort of recognize, I think it's really powerful, I guess is what I'm trying to say that you yeah. recognized at some level, this thing that's growing inside of me may have something to do with something. I did not have any agency. Or yeah.
1: Yeah. And it,
0: it is related to a legacy of, of trauma. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, just how you
1: kind of, came to that came to understand yeah. that and who has helped you maybe yeah there was um so there's a book and, and it's interesting because I don't really like to refer to books oftentimes because I feel like you know something about referring to books feels very like academic and sometimes just like inaccessible but I do want to refer to this book that I have been um I actually have a hard time reading it I've been trying I've been reading it throughout the summer because it's really, really difficult to get through. Um, But I want to share that because I think for people who do like to read, it's a resource and I think this helped to kind of get my brain kind of going about it. But the name of the book is called, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. And it's by Mark Willen. And I use, and I use this as a reference because some just it's saying that it didn't start with you. Just the fact that that's the title releases like, oh, so it's it didn't just start here. Like this is bigger than me. And, and I and I'll refer back even to something like fibroids. Right. So my mom had fibroids. My cousin has fibroids. um grandparents have fiber. And I remember just being like, I remember when my mom had it and she had surgery when I was 15 and I was so terrified. I remember crying and she was like, oh, are you crying? Cause you know, you're nervous about, you know, me going to surgery. And I said, no, I'm worried about this happening to me too. And she said, oh, don't worry about that. You are 15 years old, you have a while ago, whatever. However, she did say, well, just make sure you have a baby in your early twenties. So if it does happen, you could have kids. So once again, it still went down to kids, right? It's something about what well, my body can produce and be, uh, and, and bring into this world. But I remember this fear that I had. I would have nightmares about me having fibroids and all this stuff. And I think that was when I got diagnosed at 28, I was like, darn, it happened to me. And I remember my mom was just like, well, yeah. Like, in very casual. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is a big thing. And so, just reading on it. Um, I went to a a workshop and I don't remember the name of it, but it was a workshop that was a very spiritual workshop. And that's when I heard about just the reasons as to why five words are so prevalent in the communities that it is. And as soon as that came about in terms of connecting it to slavery and connecting it to just trauma, Mm -hmm. everyone in the room just broke down crying because we were like, Oh my gosh. You know, and it's something, you know, I think when you live with something like this, that doesn't have a cure, you know, you can't just go to the doctor and you shrink it and you can't, you know, there's ways to manage it. And the reason why I say something that's growing inside of me is because, you know, it was one side at 28 and it was another side at 28 and now I'm 32. Um, so it has grown and it could be growing right now. And so for me, I don't want to just be like this thing that's living in my body, it's growing because something's happening in there where it can grow to be the size of a grapefruit. And that's what my mom had before she had to have surgery, right? And so me thinking about mine being the size of a lemon, I'm like, oh, you know, and even the fact that they even give you these like fruit references is like really interesting. But I think um, in terms of having these conversations, um, it makes you feel like you're not alone. Um, and it also makes me think about, I want to end this. Yes. I want to end this. And I'm like, if I have a child who has a uterus, I want to talk to them about their diet. Um, I want to talk to them about what does it mean to, to be plant-based or to be vegan and, and not in a way. And it's interesting because I'm not the vegan who's like doing it for the animals or to lose weight or like none of that. It's solely thinking about living in the United States of America understanding that our food is injected with all these hormones that they're injected with and knowing that Black people inherently already, we don't have a good start. We're already, because of our trauma, because it runs in our lineage, we have to be particularly mindful about what the food here is doing to our bodies. So for me, I also had this anger from my mom. Because I was like, this happened to you. This happened to other people in the family. Why didn't you take the steps mm. so that you could tell me or, you know, or like, you know, so that way I wouldn't have had to go through it. And so I had to really, like, there was a moment when I got diagnosed, Why so I didn't talk to her. I already wasn't talking to her about something else completely different, but about around or whatever. But, but I remember feeling like when I would have pain, I'm being like, mm. oh, my mom, if only she would have had me go vegan (laughs) or, you know, um, if only she would have had me read about read about some preventative things I could take or, you know, whatever. And I, and I had to really get out of that blame for her and recognize that it's bigger than her too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you think about intergenerational trauma is that it's bigger than just one person, whether it's me or the other person. But I think that once you think about it, I'm like, what can I do to stop, to stop it? Like Mm -hmm. I said, what can I do to stop these cycles, Um, so when I think about possibly one day having children, how do I tell my child that your body is your friend, all of it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and not instill this fear, give them the knowledge of how their body exists in the world. I think that's, that's okay. Um, but to not have them be afraid of what their body can do and not be afraid of what, you know their body existing in this world means and not always talk about what their body can reproduce and just not treat it as capital or an object. So for me, it's like, it's on me to gather all the knowledge so that I can stop the cycle and Mm -hmm. cut the cord. (laughs) Like, no more can this happen. Right.
0: It seems like part of what you were saying earlier is that dance is a part of that. Yeah the collectivity of what you're also creating is part of, it's it's like informing that process of stopping the cycle. I mean, they're the practical steps that you're taking, but there's also kind of this idea of, you know, you said earlier, it's like when I am dancing, I'm like, I'm relating to my whole body as my friend. Mm-hmm. Like I'm and that includes this fibroid, right? That includes mm-hmm. like whatever you've inherited and I, I I just wonder how it is for you and for maybe you can talk a little bit about um mm-hmm. like these these spaces that you create and and um and what they've meant to you around
1: that kind of reclaiming and what they've meant to other people. Yeah. So I've created two, I feel like notable spaces that I'll share. Um, the first is Melanin in Motion, and that is a free um, dance fitness class for the Black community. And so, so what happened is I was taking these Zumba classes because I really love Zumba, and it's controversial, but I love it. And. Um, I was taking these classes in Midtown and everyone in the class, like not every, any, everyone, but there were people in the class who just didn't look like me, but yet we're dancing to music that was so cultural. And I was like, what would it be like to have an accessible class? That's why I think about making it free. To have an accessible class specifically for Black people, specifically inviting Black queer and trans people who perhaps are experiencing some of the similar things that I'm experiencing with my body or even an other thing that they're experiencing with their body in terms of disassociating for different reasons around gender. And so for me, it's like, how can I create that space? And so I kept taking all these Zumba classes and um, I spoke to a friend and my friend was like, you should be a Zumba teacher. And I went to high school with him and he was like, I'm going to Venmo you some money. He paid for my class. So shout out to Desert Hall. And he paid for my class and I became a Zumba teacher and I started doing these like monthly Zumba classes that started last year in November. Oh wow, almost almost a year ago. Um, and I did it for several months and it was really great and really beautiful because I would come up with a lot of the choreography. Some I would, I would get from other Zumba um, dances and classes and stuff that I've seen. But a lot of it was like, not, call, not calling it Zumba because I was specifically playing like certain kinds of music. I was playing afrobeats. beats. I was playing trap. I was playing Cardi B and um, Soca, And I really wanted it to be like, okay, it's dance and it's fitness. Um, and letting people know that I'm a licensed Zumba teacher, but this isn't Zumba. Um, you're not going to get this class everywhere and having it be a private class, having it be free and all these things that's, that's very unique.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I
1: did that for several months. But then I had this like, life hiccup that happened, um where, you know, a very, a very like traumatic end to a relationship that was that was in my life for several years and I just needed to kind of take time to regroup. And so I stopped doing the classes for a couple of months. But then literally two months later um is when I birthed um a Ratchet Realm. And so a Ratchet Realm is a black queer and trans centered um dance up experience. And it's really, really exciting. It's my baby. I think something, so I love to party and I and I used to, and I was hosting other people's parties for a minute. Um, but then I was like, I can do this. I can do this. And so I curated the space. And I think what's really beautiful about the space is that people can really feel as free as they want to feel free in. And, and the reason why I'm even using the word ratchet is because it's a term that a lot of the times, you know, Black, like, you know, poor folks are called when they're loud and rambunctious and raunchy and what society would deem as, like, not respectable. Um, And so I'm claiming that to be like, okay, yes. Yes to all of those things. Yes to tongues out, twerking, um, being loud, taking up space, wearing, like, seductive sexual clothes. Like... And then thinking about realm um, and thinking about how that word is associated with like royalty. Um, Mm. And so how do you take ratchet, which society throws away people who are ratchet, but then they uplift people who are in realms and who are, you know, seen as royalty and putting them together. Um, And so it's a term that a person that I was dating came up with for me. And so I never like to take credit for for things that I didn't um, birth in my head. The idea of the party space definitely came from me, but the name came from the person that I was dating. And the person was like, that's it. Like you always talk about ratchet. We talk about like this, put it together and that's going to be it. And I was yes. And it stuck. And so a ratchet realm is that space where Um, for me also, when I go to queer spaces, a lot of times it's just not black enough for me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, and and then people put POC on things and I'm like, okay, I don't know what POC means because growing up in the hood, there was no person of color. There was no, you're a girl of color. My mom was like, you're a little black girl. That's what I was. And that's what I am It's black. And so I get that POC is an umbrella term. I think it's also politically correct term that erases black people so when i do use the term i'll say black and poc Mm -hmm. um but for ratchet realm i say black queer and trans centered and i'm very specific and intentional about saying that um because it's not a lesbian party it's not a party that's only for for cis folks it's a party for the black lgbtqia plus community um a place that i specifically also really wanted to say trans um gender nonconforming conforming non-binary and really wanted to speak those into existence into spaces because i feel like even that erased as well right when we think about the umbrella of lgbt right, right. i always have my trans friends who are like the t always feels silent you know and so i think in poc to me the black that it feels erased so um how do we just say what spaces are centering? And that's what Mm -hmm. I'm doing with the ratchet realm. And also when I see, when I go to these spaces, not only are they not black enough for me, but they're not as femme curated enough for me. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm very intentional about having DJs who are black femmes, who Mm -hmm. are DJing in their dresses and their heels, whatever, and whatever, however they exude their femininity, because there are a slew of uh, black, Um, Mass folks in community who are really dominating the game and I go to those parties and I enjoy it so much Um, and I will continue to Um, however there aren't enough black femmes who are visible on the ones and twos and not visibly enough on the mic and so for me for me a ratchet realm for the most part will be having black femme DJs and we'll have a black MC, um, which would be me or, I want to build out, you know, a team of MCs as well. Hosts are promoters essentially. So hosts, I'm totally down for them being cross to discussion and presentation. Um, but, but who's on the mic and who's on the ones and twos have to be femme because that's also a radical act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so, I mean, you're a Virgo, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm also Virgo. And part of what I'm hearing with you is just like, I can hear that you like, you have the vision and you just, you, you not only just create it, but you create it exactly how you want to create it. And, and like, you, I don't know, I just can see in your eyes as you're discussing it, like this is your vision and it can't, it's not this, it's not this, it's like exactly, precisely this, you know? And um, I really, I think that it's just very powerful to hear that actually, because I think just hearing you talk about naming something into existence that that you feel is essential to exist. Like this space is essential. It has to exist and making it happen. It's it's mm-hmm. incredibly powerful. And I imagine, I mean, what is, what are you finding from your community and like the people who are attending? Like what are folks saying to you? Folks are saying, keep
1: doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is what I need. for my love language is words the affirmation. So I need that. I need to hear that. These parties are really expensive. Yeah. You know, I'm doing a monthly party that literally can run upwards of two thousand um, dollars, and I think that you know I'm building out a team, and I do have two 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 team members now. Um, shout out to Darren and Nat, and they are helping be like the mastermind behind a ratchet realm and helping me to really understand like what are some things I can cut costs on, what what exactly um, needs to be an expense, um, what is like factors um and so I think that's really helpful but what people are saying is that they really are feeling liberated in these in these spaces and they're feeling they're what I'm hearing is this space doesn't feel like other spaces you know what's really critical too is that it's my party but I'm the one I'm dancing I'm on the mic I am talking to people I'm thanking them so much for coming to my party like I will, I'll see folks outside waiting for their Uber and I am like thanking them. I'm like, thank you so much for coming. And they're like, it's your party. Like, are you talking to me? I'm like, yes, because I'm so grateful. And so i um, expressing so much gratitude. And I have so many of my friends, like real life friends who come out every month and support mm-hmm. me. And I'm super grateful. Um, so yeah, I listen to community because communi- this is their party. I'm curating it, but it's their party. So if they see people in this space and they're like, they feel unsafe, or if they feel like there's people in the space who is a threat to the space, they take it upon themselves to to, to like rectify that. And I love that. I love that people feel like they have the agency to not only be their full liberated black, queer, trans, beautiful selves and to move to the rhythm of the music till till 3 a.m. and sometimes later, but they also feel the agency to say this is our space. Mm -hmm. and I want to curate it in this kind of way as well because like I said I'm like they people rarely have agency and feeling like you can do that you go to a place you're being pat down you're being this they're asking for your id there's so many different things and so how do we curate spaces that um where the owner understands this is a black Korean trans space what does that look you know how are we interacting with folks how are we being intentional about pronouns and we're not saying things like hey ladies we're not saying things like, we're not, we're not assuming pronouns and gender. And, you know, we're having restrooms where people don't have to worry about, oh, this is a male restroom, this is a female restroom. Like, what is male, female? Like, what is that? It's a restroom. Um, and so having um, accessibility to the trains and stuff like that. Um, one thing about my party, too, is um, having money put aside for, um, I for the most part, censoring Black Femmes to get home safely. And so uh, money goes aside to people's Ubers and Lyft and mm. they come to the party and they're like, you know what, my Uber is $20. And I'm like, okay, let me give you $20 right now. I'll Venmo you and things like that. And so that's really critical. Every party has a vendor. And then, you know, it's a friend of mine, I'm set up to DK Baker and um, her name is Brooklyn and, and she creates these treats and they're so good because you late night party and you get hungry. And so what does it look like to have her then and she's part of the party? And you know, so I think this is really beautiful. I think I'm, you know, I'm being intentional about that. And I think my favorite one well, of my favorite two favorite things about the party that I'll say is the twerk contest. And the reason why that's really beautiful is because people come out for it. They're like, I wanna come out for it. There's cash prize to it every time. And it also reminds me of being in my living room with my grandmother, with my cousins, and her telling her us to all get in a circle, and she puts on our favorite song and we dance, and it reminds me of um, the power of just dancing in front of people and having it be a contest, and um, I love that. I love that. And lastly, um, I have performers. So coming to a ratchet realm, you literally can see a twerk contest. You can. Get some baked goods made from love from Brooklyn, BK Baker, and you can um, get a. You're just getting it all concert. Um, And so I'm intentional about having um, black, queer and trans folks perform and they're they're rapping, they're singing, they're dancing. Mm. Um, And so it's an experience. And I really, and I'm really grateful to curate it. And I've been getting a lot of great feedback and so I'm going to keep doing it in the way that people need for as long as I can.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. And I, I hope that, I hope that you get the support that you need to make it sustainable. You know, yeah. I mean, I really think that's important. So in the spirit of that, Yes. <laughs> let us know, let the listeners know how they can find out about what you're doing and, you know, like possibly support you, throw money your way, you know, whatever it is. How can people find out about you?
1: People can find out about me by um, following me on Instagram, um, my personal page, which is Jewel underscore the gem. So J E W E L underscore T H E G E M. And following the party page uh Ratchet Realm, so A R A T C H E T R E A L M a Ratchet Realm. And so I think, you know, the reason why I'm sharing both is because um, you know, I'm known for many things and I think, you know, in terms of so my name is Joel and my mom said to me one day about something around jewel and gem and and it kind of stuck um and so uh, that's my instagram name but i think it's really critical to see that like i do parties but i'm also a director of programs and i'm also and i also curate other um community events and so there's always things coming up for me as jewel and a ratchet realm is one of them and so um being able to follow myself in this party page will be able to just kind of give you very specific updates because what's really exciting about 2020 is I'm going on what I'm calling a twerk tour and um, this work tour will be bringing a ratchet room to different cities. Um, Mm -hmm. And right now I'm in conversations with bringing it to not only different cities, but I'm even in conversation with bringing it to Canada as well. Um, So bringing it to Atlanta, bringing it to the Bay, um, and bringing it to just different cities that I've been that you basically have to choose between being in a black space and being in a queer space. And I'm like, how about being in a space that senses both? So following um, both my page and a ratchet room page is a great way to keep up
0: that's amazing. I wish you a lot of luck with that and I can't wait to see kind of how it how it all plays out, but it sounds like there's a lot of people out there that really need what you're doing. So um thank you so much for for joining me and um yeah, it was a real pleasure to talk to you. You're a very like you have a very powerful vision and mm-hmm. I love hearing about it and I also really appreciate you being vulnerable and talking about like the kind of mountain climbing metaphor, like that things are messy and they're not, you know, you haven't arrived, but you're (laughs) in process like we all are. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I appreciate kind of both aspects of, of what you shared today. So thank Mm -hmm. you, Jewel.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me again. Thank you so much.